Well, good morning. Isn't it a glorious morning? I hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Ours was very, very sweet. Um, for my husband and I, we celebrated our first anniversary, so that was sweet. And uh, so I was especially curious when he was going Christmas shopping as to what he may be purchasing. So I sent a little text and I said um, on Christmas Eve when he went out to shop, where are you going? Uh, hoping to receive some type of a clue. He informed me in a reply that, well, I had been a stinker this year and that he would be shopping for me at the Lump of Coal store, which apparently is somewhere near Chandler Fashion Center. Um, so curious as to how coal was distributed, I texted back, how do they rank coal lumps? Bad, very bad, rotten, and in that ranking system, where does stinker fall? Another curious question I had, I texted him, is do the lumps of coal get larger by the rank? And he texted back, it's by size and color. The lumps of coal with the darker hue go to those who have been very bad. Well, still not sure where stinker landed uh, in the ranking system. I decided to let it rest. So imagine my delight on Christmas morning to find out that the Lump of Coal store was sold out Christmas Eve. And I received a brand new fishing rod. Yes. <laughs> so it was a very nice Christmas. Uh, so Christmas gives us time, doesn't it, to reflect. Uh, reflect and give careful thought on how God gave the greatest gift, his son Jesus Christ. So we see in God's economy, giving is linked to loving, right? Or loving is linked to giving, right? So we see that. We celebrate that in Christmas. That's why we give gifts to those we love as a symbol of our affection. However, on this last Sunday of the year, I'd like us to reflect on the blessing and the benefit of receiving, and how receiving in God's economy is linked to believing. So just as loving is linked to giving, receiving is linked to believing. Have you noticed how difficult it is for us to receive? I mean, honestly. How about this? Receive compliments. You look wonderful. And what do we say? Oh, I've got to lose weight. Right? Or someone tells us, I love that outfit on you. Oh, this old thing? Or we have to tell them we got it on sale, right? How about receiving affirmation? You really excelled on that project. Oh, I was just doing my job. Or receiving gifts. Did any of you this Christmas season say, oh, you shouldn't have? Or here's a big one. How about receiving help or assistance? I don't want anyone to think I'm needy or helpless or vulnerable. I mean, after all, God helps those who help themselves, doesn't he? There are many reasons why we have difficulty receiving from God or from others. Um, the gift, whatever it may be, that God may want to give us. Perhaps it's a, a gift of, of healing in some way, emotional, physical, whatever that may be. Or a gift of fulfilling relationships. Perhaps God wants to give us professional success or a position of influence. Sometimes these things may be just too spectacular for us. Our emotional handicap through feelings of unworthiness inhibit our ability to receive 
and embrace these possibilities, these magnificent gifts. But as a result, as a result of not receiving, we live impoverished spiritual lives. We live without exploring the vast potential of God's kingdom. Or you see, then there might be the other extreme. We don't receive because our pride precludes it. We can't afford to lose control and expose our vulnerability. But essentially, whatever the bottom line is, there's just something about receiving that makes us uncomfortable, isn't there? So since receiving is the antithesis of giving, I think it's wildly appropriate for God to speak to us out of the pages of history for today, a lesson on receiving, and to take us back to a wonderful part of the Christmas story about two people who were related, but besides being related, there are many commonalities and parallels between their two stories. At this point in their life, both were alone. Both were visited by the same angel. Both received the message of a coming baby, new birth. Both received the child's name, as well as the, as the specific calling or life's work of that child. And both sang a song of praise. But for all their commonalities, the irony of this is that their stories couldn't be more different. For instance, one earnestly sought the answer to a specific prayer to receive that which he did not have. The other embraced and received that which they did not seek. One was named Zechariah, and the other, the oh-so-familiar Mary, mother of Jesus. Let's allow them both to teach us about receiving and how it actually equals believing. So you can join me in Luke chapter 1, beginning in verse 5. We'll start with Zechariah. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God. Remember that. Hang on to that thought. Observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive. And they were both very old. Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time of the burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been answered or heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous, to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I am an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and tell you this good news. 
And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he took so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them but remained unable to speak. Now we must remember that Zechariah lived his life to glorify God in a time of corruption within the political and the religious system of his day. Zechariah held the honored position of priest to be mediator between God and the people. So he, while he lived his life in service of others, there was one thing he desired for himself, just one thing, a baby. He sought God's mercy and grace and prayed earnestly for a child. But, a, but upon the pronouncement that his prayer had been heard, not will be heard, or maybe, or is being considered in the heavenlies, but has been. And Zechariah, just in case you're confused about this, let's be specific about which prayer. The prayer for a son. The angel validated it. It's been heard. You will have a son, Zechariah. But interesting thing, Zechariah heard, but he didn't receive. How could this be? Zechariah, a priest, he knew the power-working miracles of God, and after all, he had the scriptures, didn't he? He knew Father Abraham, who was childless. Well, Abraham and Sarah, they too had no ability to have children. And yet, God provided. The crazy thing is Zechariah himself was the very manifestation of the miracle that God worked through Abraham and Sarah, wasn't he? Do you remember in Genesis 15 when God promised Abraham and he said, look at the stars in the sky? Also later, he said, look at the sand on the seashore. Abraham, so will your children be. Have faith, Abraham. And it says he believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. But later, we have Zechariah, years later, forgetting that he himself was the star's and the sand that was professed that day to Abraham, just as God had promised. We use the phrase walking miracle, don't we? And Zechariah literally was. But perhaps we should ask, how do we respond to the confirmation of our prayers? When heaven's gate arrives at our front porch, do we remember that we are the stars? That we are the grains of sand? that we are the people of faith. Many of us in this room are walking miracles. We lived in hopelessness. We reaped the whirlwind of our wrong decisions. We were stubborn. We were unteachable. Well, at least I was. <laughs> but we lived in darkness, didn't we? Before we received and we believed the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there was a new life for us, that there was hope, we could hit the reset button. Boy, was that good news. But perhaps now we live our Christian lives in comfort, never venturing out to the ledge any longer. We come to church every week. We, like Zechariah, are fulfilling our duties. Loyal, dedicated, and boring, perhaps. The spark of adventure and expectation, long gone. 
We no longer anticipate the spectacular. What? Receive answered prayer while praying in the temple? Absurd. Well, receive answered prayer while at Hope Covenant Church for a Sunday service? We question. Isn't it ironic that we have faith to ask, but many times not the faith to receive? I'm going to share a story with you. It was 2002, and I was on staff at a church in Seattle, and I had felt that God was telling me to uh, put together a team to support a missionary that was in Spain. And um, so I started making some plans to do this, and we gathered 10 people that felt that they were ready and prepared to go out on the mission field and wanted to join me. And, um, but prior to going, I would always have every week our team-building uh, sessions and, and prepare for the work we were going to do. But I felt like I needed to do something further. I didn't know these missionaries intimately. So I actually flew over to Spain all by myself, Figured I'd just kind of do a recognizant mission, you know, check out the land and uh, spend time with the missionaries. And while I was there, they were a delightful family called the Kobo family. Uh, I felt that the Lord was telling me that I was just impressed that I needed to bring a gift. Us as a team should bring a gift. I thought, what a glorious idea. We can bring a gift when we come and leave it for them, not only the gift of support while they're there. So while I was in my room by, by myself one night, I started praying, God, what gift? I don't know them very well. What could they use, Lord? What could they use? And in the quiet, quietness of that moment, I felt impressed in my heart the word home, a house. And I thought, well, obviously God doesn't want to do that. I mean, what, could, what else would be something that could be attained, right? Prayed again, God, what? What could we bring for the Kobos? Again, I feel so strongly, a house. Well, I go to sleep, get up the next morning, having coffee with the family at the table. I ask them, tell me about your ministry, and what do you feel you could use that would benefit and further your ministry? What are you really in need of? And lo and behold, they said, well... We have all the youth come in to learn English, and now we're having the adults come in. People have been receiving Christ. It's been wonderful, except this place we live in is way too small. It was like an apartment flat. And they said, we really could use a house. I just about fell over in my chair. I thought, oh, no, God, this can't be. So I said, do you have a specific house in mind? And they said, yes, we do. I said, take me to this house. So we went down the little cobblestone road. There was a glorious two-story home on the corner. And they said, this home, it's been vacant for quite a while. And I'm thinking, well, maybe a home in Spain doesn't cost too much. <laughs> well, how much does this, this home cost? And they said, it will take us about $117,000 to purchase this home. Hoping they had enough saved, I said, how much do you have? And they said, we are far from that. God would have to provide. Well, I knew what God was saying. I got on the plane, got back to Seattle, and um, put the team together. But I had such a struggle within me to have those words come out of my mouth that we were going to supply a home for these missionaries. Well, maybe I could soft-pedal this a little bit, right? So I said, hey, you know, we just need to do a fundraiser. Let's raise some funds, and we can bless them, and then they can buy a house. So we did that. We did garage sales. We sold Krispy Kreme donuts at Walmart. We, you, you all know, Jim's <laughs> laughing over there. 
Well, we did everything we could to raise funds. Yet in my heart, I didn't feel right. I felt that I was being dishonest. Well, it was the week of leaving to go to Spain. We were already unprepared. And we had raised at that time $11,700. The team was elated, but my heart was empty. So at a team meeting, I told them, I said, I have something to confess to you. I said, I need to ask for your forgiveness, all of you, because I've been disobedient to the Lord. And I began to share with them about what I felt I knew God had wanted us to do. And, um, and they were a little taken aback by it all. And I said, but I have a plan. As I've been praying about this, um, I told them that I was aware that many times missionaries that are on the field have their paperwork and all their donations taken care of stateside. And I knew the woman who was taking care of the finances for the Kobos. And so I had called Fabiola and I asked her, Fabi, if I send you a letter that we've written from our team, and I prepare this letter, will you mail it out to every supporter of the Kobos immediately? Because this is our situation. And she said that she would do it. So the team, knowing that we had sent off the letter, just the very day that we got on the plane, we left. And the letters were sent, and we went off to Spain. We had a glorious ministry time in Spain. Uh, students came to the Lord. Some of the parents came to the Lord. It was wonderful. And on the last day of our ministry, we prepared a large banner. We unrolled it. The Kobos were overwhelmed with the 11,700. But every day that team was asking me, Tina, did you call stateside? Did, did anyone give a donation? Did anything? Every day of the ministry I'd called, and the, the word was the same, nothing. Fabiola said, I'm sorry, Tina, nothing. And I was devastated to go back to the team and have to tell them nothing again. So we left, the Kobos never knowing what our true intention was. We left and went back to the States. And it was approximately six weeks later that um, I received some news. And it's an amazing thing because even this morning, I was looking and praying that I could find my journal, and I did for that year. And I want to read to you the letter that I emailed out to all of the group. And it begins with giving them an update on those who received Christ and what, what God was doing. And, oh, I'm sorry, one moment. And then... I wrote here, and finally, remember the last-minute letters I had sent out to all the supporters of the Kobo family regarding our Casa de Kobo campaign? Well, to, tell, to be truthful, I was very disappointed in the lack of response. I had truly felt the Lord's prompting to make this last-minute effort prior to us boarding that plane. The Lord allowed me the time, the words to write the letter, and precious Fabiola to mail them to every supporter for me. Then we all waited nothing until now yes the kobos have received a gift of a hundred and seven thousand and six hundred dollars yes you did read that correctly the donation was a direct result of the letter and our efforts this means that with the eleven thousand seven hundred we collected the kobos now have over one hundred and nineteen thousand dollars to purchase a home can you believe it? I love Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to immeasurably, do immeasurably more than we 
ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. Look closely at this verse. He is able to do mighty, wonderful things beyond what we can imagine. But then look at the next part, through us. What a privilege. And the result is glory in the church, glory for Jesus, and an enduring testimony for all generations. I love you all, and I'm proud to have been able to serve our Lord alongside you. Tina. Well, I just was grateful that God gave me a redeeming moment to receive and to believe and to act upon that belief. But going through this scripture, there are some Zechariah lessons that I'd like to share with you that have been ministering to my heart. And the first one is not receiving is equal to not believing. Zechariah and I rejected God's message, rejected God's words. Remember, Zechariah was an upright man. I'm sure he was well-intentioned, and so are we. But not receiving God's gifts are a serious thing. Belief is always blessed, but unbelief is judged. And we see that Zechariah is silenced. And it says here in James chapter 1, But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt, because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is a double-minded man and unstable in all they do. And that word unstable means prone to change, to fail, to give way. Zechariah, this is ironic because Zechariah wanted surety from the Lord. He wanted something stable, something he could count on, but he himself was unstable. The second lesson is pray that unbelief will be silenced in your life, in my life. Zechariah's judgment was a chastisement, and God does correct his children for our good. It was also a gift of mercy. You know, it's funny. He wanted surety. He wanted a sign. And God gave him a sign, didn't he? He closed his lips. He would not allow Zechariah to continue to profane a holy thing, the very thing Zechariah desired to embrace. God let him sit on the sidelines. He took him out of the game to allow him time to meditate and to think and ponder. But when the appointed time came, God loosed Zechariah's lips. And do you remember? He said, his name is John. He got it. He aligned himself with God's word. You know, sometimes we're just not the, the sharpest tool in the shed, right? It takes up us a little bit of time to get it. And God in his mercy gives us that time. So let's pray that unbelief is silenced in our lives, whether it seeps into our soul from our thoughts or our emotions or perhaps the words of others in our life. We just have to remember that unbelief is toxic. It says in 2 Corinthians, So then death is at work in us, but life is at work. It is written, I believe, therefore I speak. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and we speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. So you see, we need to focus on God's person, his character, his power, his promises, the things he has done in the past within our life, not the circumstance. 
All Zechariah could see were the obstacles. I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. How is this possible? You see, it's like this. We may know God's power. We may read his scriptures. We may understand his nature and how he works. But when a circumstance comes in our life, what ends up happening? We allow it to eclipse the word of God. And all we can see is the circumstance and the issue. And we forget God's word, his promises, and his nature. That's what I did. That's what Zechariah did. So, we see that when we let God do his part, we are liberated and free to do our part. So when I lack in faith, our third lesson, remember, when I lack in faith, you lack in faith, our third lesson is that someone else lacks in blessing. Do you remember, the people were waiting for Zechariah to come out of the temple. It was tradition that the priest would come out and he would leave a benediction and a blessing for the people. And they would walk away with their hearts full, knowing that God had heard their prayers. Well, when Zechariah came out, he had nothing he could speak. He only could make signs. The people were perplexed. And they had to leave without the priestly blessing on their life. And I want you to remember that for you and I as Christians, when we do not believe the word that God gives us, someone else lacks a blessing. Well, by now I'm sure you know the story of of the angel Gabriel's second message. He was sent to a humble home. Such a contrast from the magnificence of the temple. And there we find Mary. Unlike Zechariah, the angel's announcement was unexpected news. It came straight out of left field. How will this be, Mary asked the angel. Since I'm a virgin, the angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your words be fulfilled. Zechariah's message was one of joy, remember? The angel said regarding John the Baptist, he will be a joy and delight to you, Zechariah. But for Mary, the message message was tantamount to a death sentence in her day, and at the very least, social suicide. A pregnant, unwed woman and most definitely a personal liability in regards to her relationship with Joseph. So for Mary to receive this gift, wow, she risked everything. This new birth was not a sought-after, much-anticipated event, yet very much a part of her life's destiny in fulfilling God's calling. Her story represents God's new work in our lives, through unexpected and sometimes even unwelcomed events. The author Anne Voskamp wrote in her book, The Greatest Gift, we are not spared of all trials, but we are spared of the trials that bring no gifts. Think upon that. We are not spared of all trials, but we are spared of the trials that bring no gifts. Unexpected events and sometimes even answered prayer may involve some suffering, but in God's economy, the purpose will always outweigh the cost. Remember Jesus? For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. 
He saw the end game. Well, we know the phrase, God helps those who helps themselves, don't we? Oh, I lost my place. <laughs> oh, I got it. All right. Well, Mary lessons. Here's the Mary lesson, the first one. Receiving is believing. Remember, may your word be fulfilled. While Zechariah sought surety and an understanding of the process and strategy to eliminate the obstacles, Mary chose instead to marvel at God's mystery. Why? How? Because she knew to trust in his character. She knew how to let God do his part. Remember the illustration? She knew how to keep focused on God, his nature, her experience of him, and, her, and the promises. So therefore, the circumstance was eclipsed by God. He was greater than any fear, any concern, anything she would experience. She knew he would be faithful. She had his word and his character in right perspective. So we see that receiving requires us to let go and to take a posture of humility. Mary, just like Jesus himself, said, I am the Lord's servant. And then while receiving is believing, that's not the end of the equation because receiving equals believing equals blessing. Do you remember? Mary was pronounced as blessed. Blessed are you, Mary. By receiving God's word and his promise, Mary played a part in the Father's plan of redemption. Not only was she personally blessed, but we have been blessed by her faith. Zechariah may have left the masses without benediction, but God would not. Here's the really cool part. I love this. Regardless of Zechariah's doubt or my doubt or your doubt, God will bless. Do you remember Zechariah's son, John the Baptist, the one the angel spoke about, would grow up, and in the middle of his ministry, he stood up and said to the multitudes, from the fullness of his grace... We have all received one blessing after another. John, in the place of his father, Zechariah the priest, extends a benediction to the people, one that speaks to the abundant blessings of, of Christ, not just one blessing, but a multitude of blessings. So is there something God has revealed to you, but it's too spectacular for you to believe? I ask you not to leave it in the dust of 2014, but renew your faith. Is there something you have desired but dare not boldly embrace? What is your relationship or circumstance that needs new birth? Or perhaps a circumstance is one of a personal nature, a character change, the releasing of an anger issue, or embracing forgiveness, or relinquishing selfishness and pride, or one of an emotional nature, healing from your past, or a difficulty in receiving God's love. Is there anything that's keeping you from receiving? Because it's keeping also another from being blessed. You have a gift to give. Well, we know the phrase, God helps those who helps themse help themselves, is not biblical, right? The fact is that God helped those who could not help themselves. He only requires that we receive. 
It says in the scripture, to all who received him, to all who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, the right, the privilege, the inheritance, not only to become that child, but to live in all the privileges and blessings of that inheritance. So pray with me. Dear God, I thank you, Lord, for this last Sunday of 2014. And God, I ask that you would renew again within our hearts and our lives those things that you have spoken that we have neglected and left on the wayside. God, give us fire in our heart. Help us remember, God, your promises and your power. Use us in a powerful way now, Lord, that we would stand in the gap, that we would receive all of your blessings so that others around us may be blessed, Lord. I ask that you take a moment, and if God has spoken to you through this, that you would renew your faith with him about that, about that word that he's been spoken, perhaps a child that you need to stand in the gap for. Just between you and him, ask him to renew your faith over that word. Lord, thank you. Teach us to receive God so that you may Amen. We are at that point in our service where we have the opportunity to respond to the 